62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. He wasn't referring to a half-hearted effort. He wasn't referring to fulfilling a religious obligation by coming to church once a week. He was saying that true believers can't live without him. And they demonstrate this by constantly pursuing righteousness like a starving man constantly pursues food. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been studying the Sermon on the Mount and our focus so far has been on the Beatitudes. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul wrote of the rejection of Jesus by the Jews of his day. Let's pick up the lesson right there. Here is Pastor Steve. Now, going back to the fourth beatitude, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't simply say that citizens of his kingdom just desired righteousness. No, he spoke in stronger language. He said they hungered and they thirsted for it. Very strong language that leads us now to the second question that helps to unfold this fourth beatitude. The first question is, what did he mean by righteousness? Practical righteousness of moment by moment obedience to his word. But the second question is this, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? You know what? Our Lord purposely conveyed the fourth beatitude in, in words that were intense and words that were extreme. This is, this is beyond normal language. See, hungering for food and thirsting for water were concepts that, that our Lord's Jewish audience were very familiar with. See, unlike most of us who think that we're hungry because we missed a meal or that we're thirsty because um, we're waiting a few minutes for a cold drink on a hot day. The people listening to Jesus had a whole different perspective on hungering and thirsting. These people, for the most part, were very poor. You had a, a, a low class, socially, financially in Israel, and, and a high class, but you didn't really have much of a middle class. And so these were very poor people who often did live on the, on the edge of starvation. They didn't know where their next meal is coming from. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, thank God for your daily bread. They didn't go shopping for a week or a month or two weeks, whatever. It was, it was a meal at a time. And as far as uh, water goes, they lived in a hot and dry climate with water being very limited and in short supply. And so they knew what it was like to need a drink in order to survive. Those of you going with us to Israel always need to have water with you. And, and that's, that's certainly available. In fact, these people, uh, just to demonstrate that this is exactly what, what Jesus is talking about, a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses the anxiety they had about wondering where their next meal, their next, their next drink, as well as the clothing on them was coming from. He says in verse 25 of, of chapter 6, having told them that God will care for them and don't worry, he says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink. For, uh, nor for your body as to what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's addressing people who hungered and thirsted as a way of life because they didn't know if they were going to survive. So they found themselves in desperate need most of the time for food and for water. And it's in those terms of desperation that Jesus described how citizens of the kingdom long for righteousness. He compared this kind of desire the desire of, of longing for righteousness with the intense longing of a starving man. A starving man has for food and a dehydrated 
man has for liquid. If you've ever been dehydrated, you, you understand something of this experientially. Now, the Bible, in a number of places, refers to this intensity. It demonstrates it. And by demonstrating it, we're given a glimpse of what it means to really hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen to David as he cried out to, to God in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. Yeah, I, w- I would encourage you to mark these verses down. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He also said in Psalm 63, verse 1, he said, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. These are psalms. These, these are worship songs. These, this was David's heart cry put to music. That's what he was doing. Those of you who only like hymns, consider that these were the spiritual songs of the Bible. This crying out to God. And notice what David is specifically crying out for. He craves fellowship with God. He's crying out for deeper spiritual intimacy with God. He needs God like a starving man needs food and, and, and water. He's panting for God like a hungry animal and a thirsty animal. He's hungry for him. He can't stand living apart from God. He longs to know the Lord and enjoy his fellowship and his presence. This is tremendous. He's not asking for an experience. He's not asking for power in his life. He's, he wants God and God alone. He's not asking for God to give him something other than himself. That's what it means. That's what it means. He also said in Psalm 119, verse 131, he said, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Isn't that, isn't that great imagery? David had such a yearning to walk with God that like a thirsty animal, panting for water. He said, I pant for the word of God. I open my mouth, fill me with your word. Now, folks, this in essence is what our Lord was referring to in the fourth beatitude about thirsting and hungering for righteousness. He wasn't referring to a half-hearted effort. He wasn't referring to, to fulfilling a religious obligation by coming to church once a week. He was saying that true believers can't live without him that true believers have to have fellowship with him. They have to obey him. They have to live for him. He's the priority of their lives. Without him, there's no reason to live. And they demonstrate this by constantly pursuing righteousness like a starving man constantly pursues food. That's what it is. Let me try to clarify this. What he's talking about is that those who know him, there's a sense in which we are never content with just knowing him. There is a, and I'll explain this even further as we get along, but there is a a lack of contentment with us spiritually. We must know him better. We want to know him better. We're not content to simply come to know him and and that's fine. We're okay because now we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. We have to know him better. There is a a, a depth that we want to go. We're never satisfied no matter how long you've been a Christian. You never think, well, I've reached a point, you know, I've been to Bible school, I've been to seminary, I've sat under a ministry, I've listened to a lot of tapes, I really know a lot, I think I'll just take a break here. That's not the way it is. You want to go deeper and deeper in your understanding. There's always a hunger, always a thirst for more. You're never satisfied. You never feel like you've reached it. You know who who illustrated this? The great Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about coming to know Christ. But he's not content with coming to know Christ. He cries out in verse 10 that I may know him. Now, he's already said he's come to know him. 
But he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, I want to get so close to Christ that I will enter into that fellowship that only those who suffer can really know. Because Jesus suffered and I want to know him better. So I want to enter into that fellowship of his sufferings. Paul went on to say that he was not content with where he was spiritually. Verse 12, he said, not that I have already obtained it, meaning ultimate spiritual maturity, or I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I want to be as godly as Jesus Christ saved me to be. He's saying, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I reach, I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. Paul said, I do not let my background derail me from pressing on. I don't look at my background and say, you know, I was a murderer and I'm, I'm, I was such a horrible person and I killed Christians and I despised Christ and I, I'm just paralyzed by that. Paul said, I forget that kind of stuff. I put it out of my mind and I press forward. And I don't even remember, I don't even consciously remember the good things happening in my spiritual life because there are some people who were living 20 years ago. If you ask them what, what God is doing in their life, all they can tell you about is when they were saved 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. My, my question is what's been happening now? Don't live on a past experience. Paul's saying, I'm not living back there. I press on. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's a man who was not content in just being converted. Here's a man who was not content with all the great spiritual experiences he had. He had actually been transported, as you recall, to the third heaven. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians. Paul said, I've, I've planted churches, I've led many people to Christ, I've grown immensely, but I'm not content. I'm not staying there. I'm not looking behind at all my spiritual achievements in the kingdom. I press forward. Here's a man, here's a man who was not content. Peter says the same thing as he closes his second letter. He exhorts us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep growing. Keep increasing. Keep understanding more of his grace and, and more of the knowledge of Christ. Who is he? What is he like? You never graduate unless the Lord takes you home to glory. You never graduate in this, in this life. See, it's just not enough to be introduced to him at salvation. The true believer is driven to know him better, to always, always go deeper, be more like him, to be more consistent in, in obeying him and his word. And yet many of us, if we're honest, and of course we need to be, we'd have to admit that though we are believers and we're sure we're believers, we don't have that kind of appetite. We don't have that craving for his fellowship, for growth, for obedience like we should. Isn't that true? Many of us are just like that. We read this and we go, man, I, I, I used to be like that, but not now. John Blanchard, once again, in his book, it's an excellent book if you can get it on the Beatitudes, He's a British evangelist and Bible teacher, contemporary. He writes this about the existing prevailing condition among many Christians. He says, one of the, the greatest sins of sickness in the Christian church today is the widespread lack of hungering and thirsting after God. One can often gauge this by dwindling attendances at evening services. Many churches have dropped an evening service altogether because of a lack of interest. Surely this lack of appetite is a sign of sickness. The same shows itself in the behavior of some people when they do come to church. They seem restless, fidgety, or listless. They barely sing the hymns, rarely open a Bible in order to follow the reading, and often seem to, to treat the sermon as a lullaby. 
Others seem more interested in musical presentation or drama than in the preaching of the word. He writes, a pastor friend of mine once told me for many people in our churches today, Christianity has become a spectator sport. He was speaking of those who attend church, not so that their spiritual hunger might be met by the living God, but so that their religious feelings might be massaged, preferably to music. Now that, I think, aptly describes our day, aptly describes it. And maybe that describes you. Maybe that describes you, that that there really isn't that intense longing for Christ and his fellowship that you should have. And, And maybe you look at your life and say, you know, I once had that. I I was once so thrilled. I once had a craving for him, but now um, it's like I'm on a spiritual diet. It's, it's, I don't have much of an appetite anymore. Why? As Kent Hughes puts it, you were joyously desperate for the things of God, but not anymore. Why did that appetite get diminished? The answer is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. Very important. So let's turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter actually tells us why some of us don't have the appetite that we should have, that God wants us to have. First Peter chapter two, I want you to notice first verses two and three. Peter says, like newborn babes, like, like, like tiny infants, he's saying, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, you may, you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now he's addressing believers and he says that, those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord, meaning that at salvation, your conversion, you, you tasted his grace. You tasted his mercy in saving you, right? But it's not enough to taste. Now, now we're to grow. And we grow by having a craving for God's word with the same kind of intensity that, that a little child, an infant, a baby, has for mama's milk. He says that that's how you grow. Yes, you've tasted how kind he is, but if you're going to grow in him, you have to long for the milk like a child longs for its mother's milk. Now, just prior to saying this, and that's how we grow, by the way, we long for the milk of the word. But the question is, well, what if we're not longing anymore? What if we don't have a a craving, which is the predicament we're talking about? Then in verse one, Peter tells us why. Why is it that some don't have this desire like they should? Verse one. Therefore, he says, putting aside all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Then he says, like newborn babes long for the milk of the word. What he means by this is you will not have an appetite for spiritual nourishment as long as you're feeding on junk food. As long as you're taking in the junk food, and that's what he names, junk food of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy slander, you're not going to have an appetite for scripture. Meaning, in other words, if there's sin in your life and you don't lay that aside, you will not desire righteousness. It's as simple as that. If you're feeding on malice, meaning that you've got an unforgiving spirit, you're not going to be hungry for the word. If you hate somebody and you just harbor a grudge against them, or you're deceitful, you're, you're lying, or you're hypocritical. You live one way, you pretend to be something when you come to church, but, but you're not like that at home. You're not like that at work. You're not like that in other places. Then Peter says that you got to lay that aside. Of course, you don't have an appetite for the things of God. You got an appetite for sin and you're nurturing that. And I would say just by way of application without imposing any kind of a legalistic standard on anyone, just we have to think about what we're feeding upon. Uh, what books are you reading? What are you watching on television? What kind of movies? If you go to movies, what, what, are you, what are you seeing? 
What is it that, that really is filling your mind and nurturing bad attitudes and sinful thoughts? And so Peter says, if you're going to have an appetite for real nourishment, a real longing for the things of, of God, then you have to get rid of junk food. Because junk food, as we know, in the physical realm spoils our appetites. In the spiritual realm, it spoils our appetites too. The issue is sin. Lay it aside. Whatever you have to do, forsake it. Repent of it and begin to, to obey. And the more you obey, the greater desire you'll have to obey. That's the point. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that citizens of the kingdom have a God-given hunger and thirst for righteousness. Nothing that you muster in yourself. It's God-given because of a new, a new nature. Secondly, we've learned that this takes place, this hungering takes place by spiritually seeking intimacy with God. It, you're not seeking an issue. You're not seeking for him to give you something. You desire him and him alone. And if we don't have an appetite for him, it's because we've allowed junk food to spoil our appetites. But that brings us to a third question, and we'll not spend a great deal of time on this, but this is critical. What is the result of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Jesus very plainly spelled it out. He said, you will be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. It's interesting. The Greek word that's used here for satisfied was a word that was often used of feeding animals until they wanted nothing more. In other words, they were allowed to, to have food and drink until they were totally satisfied. I don't know what animals exactly that was referring to. It wasn't referring to my dog. I know that. Or most dogs, you, you know, you give them food as long as you keep giving them. They're never satisfied. But there must be some animals that can walk away. And that's what this is talking about. That's the way it is with us. Those who hunger and thirst for him, Jesus said, he satisfies. In fact, remember what he told the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well? In John chapter 4, there was a big discussion he had with her about, about I'd like a drink. And she said, uh, they went back and forth. And he said, I'll give you, I'll give you a drink that, that you'll, you'll, uh, will, will quench you first. She said, oh, give it to me. She kept thinking it was on a physical level. He was talking about spiritual thirst. Here's what he said. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. There is a satisfaction of soul. That's what he's talking about, that only Jesus Christ can give. He gives it initially at our conversion. You are satisfied. But then he keeps giving it to us as we, as we keep seeking him and growing in him. And here's the odd, strange, paradoxical truth about this. Though he satisfies you, you keep hungering and thirsting for more. Now that's a paradox. It's a, it's a true statement, but it looks like it's a contradiction, but it's not. How can you experience hunger and satisfaction at the same time? And the only way that I can illustrate this is it's something like this. It's similar to eating your favorite food. You can eat until you're completely satisfied, yet you still have a taste for that food. In fact, because you find that food so enjoyable and so satisfying, it makes you want more. In the same way, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness find it so satisfying they want more. In other words, you, you just can't get enough of the Lord, can you? The more you know him, the more you want to know him. The more you're satisfied with him, the more you long to be satisfied again and again and again. The more you are intimate with him, the more you desire intimacy. So yes, you, you are satisfied, but you still hunger and thirst for more. So if you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom, 
understand that you, you, as you hunger and thirst, he will satisfy you. He said in Psalm 107, verse 9, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. You'll never be disappointed in Jesus Christ. But if you're not one of Christ's own, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom, then you will never find true satisfaction in your soul apart from him. You you won't. Not true ultimate satisfaction. Financial success will never satisfy your soul. You can accumulate all kinds of things, but you'll never be satisfied in your soul. Prestige, fame, as people love that, they find that it never really satisfies them, never satisfies them. Physical pleasure won't satisfy your soul. Even meaningful relationships, as enjoyable as as they are, they will not give you real ultimate satisfaction. That only comes when you know Christ. Only comes when you know Christ. So, so don't pursue those things. You'll never be satisfied. You will, you will die di- a disillusioned individual. But if you do know Christ, if you are part of his kingdom, you know what? Cry out to him for a greater thirst and a, and a greater uh, hunger for righteousness. That's, that's been the cry of my heart this week. Lord, renew in me that, that hunger, that thirst for you. As you cry out, draw close to him, not asking for things, although that's important. And he tells us, he invites us and even commands us to to ask for things. But cry out for him, draw near to him, repent of any known sin that you have and seek him. If you're not a believer, then you need to seek him for for legal righteousness because you don't have any. And I would urge you to do that today, to come to Christ today. Don't delay if we can be of help to you, we'll, we'll have one of our elders up here at the front at the close of the service. Uh, come up. Let us know that you, you need to know Christ. You need his righteousness because you're a sinner. Let's bow for prayer. It may be that your appetite is, is so tiny for spiritual things. You, you don't thirst like you once did. How do you get that back? Well, what's in your life you need to lay aside? What's in your life? I really can't tell you. Only the Holy Spirit can show you. And you know, you know what's what's wrong. So I urge you to repent. Don't don't wait tomorrow. Do, do it now. Repent. We can be of help to you as a, a pastoral staff. We invite you to come come and see us. We have biblical counselors who can help you too. But get rid of that stuff and get a renewed appetite for the things that are really important. If you don't know Christ, may this be the day of your salvation. If you walk out of here and die without knowing Christ, the Bible says that it's too late then. You'll be forever separated from him. Come to him today. I'll give us a few minutes to meditate on these things, speak to the Lord about things privately. I'll be quiet for a few moments and then we'll close. Father, we thank you for the truths that we've been able to study this morning and we we pray lord we pray that you would help us as as citizens of your kingdom those who love the king lord to draw close to you may you be the pursuit of our lives intimacy with you lord may we say with the apostle paul that i may may know him draw us near to yourself lord as we draw near to you draw near to us we need you it's a thirsting man and a hungry man needs sustenance. We need you. Without you, we, we have no life. You, you are our life. 
Lord, I pray that uh, whatever we need to lay aside, you'll make it clear to us and that we will. For those, Lord, outside of the kingdom, may you open their hearts. I know I can't. None of us can, but you can. All that the Father gives to me, Jesus said, will come to me. So, Lord, may, may they be drawn to you, and we know you'll never cast them away. Take these words, Lord, apply it to our lives, and may we, may we be everything the Beatitudes tell us we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse and the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306. Or if you would like to listen to this broadcast again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. 